worship a triune God who is still actually one God, right? One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am not going to try to explain to you mathematically how that's possible, simply because I can't. And, and any kind of analogies that people tend to use to try to make sense of that um, usually ends up in some form of heresy. So I'm not going to go there. Um, I'm actually going to talk about what the Trinity reveals about who God is, and then also what that speaks to who we are. So one of the things that you find as you look at the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is that God is relational. Right? The Trinity has been in this eternal relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I would say that actually what defines the Trinity is relationship. That there is a, a definition of God that, that actually is rooted in the fact that He is a relational God. And that is good news for us, because that means He is the God who extends relationship to us. If He were not a relational God, we would not have the ability to be in relationship with Him. So He, he extends relationship to us. We can be in fellowship with the Trinity. Now, we have to be careful when we talk about God being a relational God. Because it's not that God created us to fill some lack that he had. Right? That he's not lonely without us. Right? There is nothing lacking in him. So it's not that he created us in order to fill some kind of vacuum for us to fill. Uh, he lacks nothing. Uh, so you see that, that God is this relational God and, and that there is a fullness of that relationship that we find in the Trinity that is not some kind of lack. But we also have to understand that we are those who are also made to be relational. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What that reveals that we are in God's image means that some of the things that define him define us. That we are therefore actually relational. Right? Being made in his image means that we are by necessity relational. We need relationship. It is actually woven in to who we are. Uh, there is uh, certainly the place of understanding that, that we were built to be in relationship with God and also with one another. That both were necessary. And, and we see that actually if you read through later in Genesis chapter 2, you come to the first instance of not good. God creates, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then in Genesis 2, 18, uh, God looks at man and he said, it is not good that man is alone. Now, um, we have to understand as we look at this, that um, there can be a hyper-spirituality you can find today, like, all I need is Jesus and that's it. Well, if it weren't true for Adam before there was any sin interrupting his relationship with God, how can we say that's true for us? Right? We actually need one another. We need relationship with one another. And so to understand that, that actually this relational God, that we are to be in relationship with him, but also we need to be in relationship with one another, that we need to live that out with one another. And that is what is good. Now, good in Scripture, um, it's a weak word in our culture, um, how'd you sleep last night? Good. Um, how was dinner? It was good. Good in Scripture carries a depth of meaning. It carries a sense of, of uh, beauty, delight, abundance, generosity, something just being right. For us to know good, there needs to be others. 
Right? We need to have that relationship with God and we need to have that relationship with one another. And then we actually find that it goes from good to very good. Right? That the very good of creation is, is that we together are made in God's image and there's a relational reality we have with one another that we see was without any sense of shame. Right? Adam and Eve were naked and they had no shame. Right? There was nothing to hide. They weren't, they weren't bothered by any sense of feeling less than. Right? They were just fully at ease with who they were and fully at ease with each other and with God. Now we know that it doesn't stay that way. Right? We rebel against God in Genesis chapter 3. And in that rebellion, the image of God that we were created in becomes distorted by sin. It's not erased. It's not gone. Um, but there is, it, it's been marred by sin. Every person you meet carries something of the image of God. Right? Even though it's been corrupted by sin, it carries something of the image of God. But, it, but not only is it that we carry that image, it's that that relational need is still there. Right? It's just it's become corrupted because everything has been corrupted by sin. And maybe a, a way to look at it is we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which means we have capacity for good. Right? To do things that are, are beautiful and promote life and, and, and abundance and generosity. And we have capacity for evil. For things that corrupt life. Things that destroy life. And so you see that as fallen people, relational people, in our relationships there is a capacity for good. We can have relationships that promote life, right? That, that, that have some sense of beauty in them, that there's a goodness, a rightness about them. They're never free from sin, right? Because we're not free from sin. Uh, so even our good is, is marred some, right? Even in our good relationships, there still is a, a neediness that might mark us or, or a, a sin that might mark us in that. But we also have great capacity in our relationships for evil, Right, to do things that corrupt, to do things that destroy life. So we are, we are still a relational people, but what we find is that as those who have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, our relationships can be a place of goodness and also a place of evil, something that, that corrupts and destroys life. Now, beyond seeing that God is relational, what we see in the Genesis reading is that God is creative. And he is the God who creates. He speaks and all of creation comes into existence. That he is the one who is very much creative and that the Trinity is all involved in his work of creation. We worship a God who is a creative God. And we see the wonders of the universe. We see all the beauty that is. This is why if you look in Job 38, it talks about when God created, the angels burst into joyful song. Right? They were so amazed at the beauty and the glory of what God had created. Now we see that, that what this reveals is that God is not somebody who is just purely pragmatic and utilitarian and functional. Right? He creates beauty. And, and, and we were meant for that beauty. We were meant to enjoy that beauty. It's not just pragmatic, utilitarian and functional. You have taste buds, right? That reveals something. You don't have to have taste buds. They don't do anything for you except bring you a sense of enjoyment, right? You enjoy the things that you eat. There's something of understanding that this creative God, he creates beauty and he creates beauty for us to enjoy. We're meant to know and enjoy that beauty. And so we, as those who are made in the image of God, we are creative people. 
It is, it is hardwired into who we are. Now, certainly the obvious things you could look at, you could think of, of great works of literature or paintings or dance or music or movies or sculpture, even architecture, right? things that capture our imagination, that can overwhelm us. We have a sense of rejoicing that, that there are things that we see that connect us to a, a sense of emotion that we might not have felt before. It's also that that there are that creative elements can actually help us see things that we might not see otherwise. Right? That there is this place of understanding that that God is a creative God, and that means that we in His image are also a creative people. We're not all artistic, right? And so I'm going to make that distinction. Um, you can't even tell what my stick figures are, right? So I'm not artistic. But there is a creativity that marks each one of us. I was almost going to say, like accountants, there's a creativity, but creative accounting is not a good thing, so maybe I'll think about something else. Anybody who works in, in any field, right, there is a creativity in how we, in how we live that out, um, that we are meant to be a creative people. It's, it's because it's baked into who we are. Now, again, because of our rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, we can use our creativity in ways that promote life, and we can use our creativity in ways that corrupt or destroy life. So God is relational, God is creative. And another thing that I want to point out is that God is a God who is on mission. He acts. He is the God who actually does things. Now, what we need to see is that God's mission is actually tied into him being relational and him being creative. He is involved in a creative and a redemptive mission. Now, I'm going to go back to Genesis um, just to uh, just to begin to lay this out, that this has always been true in who he is. So Genesis chapter one and verse two, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness is over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I want you to understand something that's not necessarily easy to see, but that word now is, is showing that there's a break from the thought before. Now, whether chapter 1, verse 1 is a heading and everything else is, is sort of explicating that, but, but they don't flow easily together. The th- reason that's important is if you read through Scripture, you find that the words formless, empty, and dark never describe anything good. It speaks of chaos, it speaks of evil, and it speaks of death. And so we, we see this, that, that what we find in verse 2 is that there is something of chaos and evil and death. And, and so we need to understand that, um, well, Isaiah 45 says, God did not create formless and void. Here we find that he's creating and there is formless and void. So what we are looking at here in verse 2 is not what God created in the sense of the pure creation in the beginning, because he does not create formless, empty, and dark. So something had to happen in order for the creation to be formless and empty and dark. And so we, we have to understand, as you look in Scripture, that, that the order that the Scriptures are in aren't necessarily the chronological order. John chapter 1, verse 1, precedes Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That takes place before Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. So what you do is you have to, you have to read the whole of Scripture to get an understanding of, of, of some kind of timeline. 
and you read things like Ezekiel 28 that speaks about the rebellion of Satan, the prince of angels, and that he is cast down to the ground. And, and you begin to see that actually in the days of creation, Satan is present on that day when he offers a temptation. Where does he come from? That's not spoken about here. What you find in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 is that God's creative work here is a redemptive work. He is setting right what Satan's rebellion has set wrong. So he takes a darkness and he corrects it by saying there's light. Right? He takes what is chaos and he brings order to it. He takes what is empty and he fills it with life and flourishing and beauty and goodness. Right? That, that even what we see in God's mission of setting right what is set wrong, we see it actually in what we think of as, as the, the initial creation story. I would say that, that there's a creation and then you find that the, there's a fall of Satan and then you find God then setting things right, which also includes the creation of man and, and woman in his image. There is a creative work to God's mission. He is a creative and redemptive God. And so we are also called into that mission. When you see that we are made in his image, it says in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So when we look at this, um, that, that there is a call that we are to make God's character known in creation. That we are to make who he is known in creation. So, so the image of God means that we were his presence, his glory in creation. And that when we are filling creation with his image, it is making him known. And that we are those who actually take what is empty and we fill it. Right? We're stepping into that creative, redemptive work of God. We fill it with life and flourishing and thriving. So that we are those who are to bring this kind of creative, redemptive work in all that we do. We bring life, we bring beauty, we bring goodness, we bring flourishing, we bring thriving into all that we do. That, that creation, the, the work of creation, this, this glorious goodness is actually our role to bring life and beauty and value in all that we do, that we are called into that work as well. Now you look at the, the words rule and subdue. I'll do subdue first. Subdue assumes there's opposition. Right? The opposition's not the land. That does not come until after our rebellion in Genesis 3, where then the land is working against us. So there's an understanding that there actually is an enemy. And that we are called into this creative and redemptive mission, which includes subduing the enemy. Right? That there is an enemy, that we are to resist the devil, that we are to bring those who bring light into the darkness, we bring order into chaos, we take what is empty, we fill it with goodness and holiness and blessing, and the reality that there is opposition to this. And certainly Adam and Eve experience that opposition. Rule is, um, is really to govern our steward. It is not some sense of, of sheer power or dominion. Um, it's saying that, that we are to carry God's character and how we, how we steward the goodness of what God has given us. That there is an authority that is given, absolutely. But that authority is actually meant to promote this created and redemptive work. To bring God's goodness into all creation. So we see that in creation, all of life 
was meant to be a witness to God's character and his image was supposed to spread and that we were those who would subdue the enemy, that we would bring his goodness in everything that we are to do. And so that there is an understanding that we are those who, who bring light in the darkness, we fill what is empty, we take what is chaos and we bring order to it, we bring beauty and life, we do this creative, redemptive work in all that we do. That this is what we were created for, this is what we were meant to do. So we see that God is a relational God, that he is a creative God, that he is a God of mission. He makes himself known, right? He makes himself known to us. And this is that glory of that relational peace. Right? We are rescued by relationship with Jesus Christ. And that rescue is a creative work. Because we become new creations. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. So this relational work of being brought into a union with Jesus is actually also a creative work. We have life breathed into us. We become sons and daughters of the King of Kings. There is a relational and creative work that makes us new. God makes himself known to us. And also God is the one who makes himself known through us. This is what we heard in, in the Great Commission. Where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are in what's called in the church year ordinary time. Ordinary time does not mean ho-hum time. It starts with Pentecost. Right? Then we have the Trinity that roots us into who God is and that actually roots us into who we are in His image. Which means that the mission of God and the spirit of God is meant to mark our ordinary life. Right? What we are living out in this season is what it is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be engaged in this created relational mission of God. That we are those who would make disciples. The command that Jesus gives is not go. Sometimes you might think that there are some people in your life you wish you could give the command. Go, that's the command Jesus, just I want you to go. But the command is not go, the command is make disciples. It literally is everywhere you go, as you're going, you are to make disciples. That is what, um, that is what God is inviting us into, this missional work that he has for us to make disciples. It is at the root of who we are, who he has called us to be as the people of God. And we need to see that the context for this mission, it actually is community. He didn't say go make an individual disciple and then go make another individual disciple and then go make another individual disciple. That the, especially in that time and in that context, when you were made a disciple, you were brought into a community. It is a community of disciples. This is why Jesus says in John 13 that the world will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. All the, the one another's that we see in scripture. To love one another. Serve one another. To, to submit to one another. To encourage one another. To correct one another. There's like over 50 of them. I'm not doing them all. All of the one another's that we see in scripture. Actually require that there is another. Right? It, it, you can hypothetically love people. But that actually. There's no discipleship that happens in that. Right, that we are made disciples, we grow in grace, 
as we are placed into community. And that that gives us an ability to live in a way that people will notice. It actually gives power to the words that we speak. That we are then to invite people into this kingdom community. Now, I'm not saying love one another and don't proclaim the gospel. That is, that is completely wrong. It is that we are to proclaim the gospel and we are to demonstrate the gospel in our lives. And that demonstration of the gospel or loving one another actually gives an authority to the things that we proclaim. So we look at this creative, relational, missional God. There are two things that I want to say that are key as we walk forward in what it means to be those Christians in ordinary time. The first thing that we see is that the, the work of this triune God is actually a work to restore who we are. This is God the Holy Spirit applying the work of the cross into our lives. Where we are forgiven of our sins, we are then united to Christ, right? We are, we are brought into relationship with Christ. We are made new creations, sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That our identity is changed from sin and shame to righteousness and honor. That our purpose is changed from self-protection and self-promotion to actually serving and sacrificing for others. That our way of life is changed from grasping, living with the question, what can I get, to actually generosity, recognizing that we have things to give. That our destiny has changed from death and hell to actually life and the new creation into glory. That everything about us is changed by this restoration of who we are. And that this does not depend on us. It doesn't depend on what we do, being good enough for it. It depends on what Jesus has done for us. It is his full work of the cross. It's what we find when Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, that I am confident that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. It's understanding that Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished, were full and final words. He did not say, it's mostly done, I've given you a good start, don't blow it. It is finished. He has accomplished for us the fullness of our salvation. That we are now united to Jesus and that cannot be taken apart. The tea has been brewed. This is why we worship. We don't worship to get God's attention. We don't worship so that God will then shower favors upon us. We worship because we have His attention. We worship because we have His favor. Our worship is in response to all that God has done for us. Even understanding that the songs of worship that we sing, that we gather on a Sunday morning, these songs of praise and worship that rise up from our lips to God's presence in heaven, are simply a response to what you find in Zephaniah 3.17, that He's the one that is singing songs of joy over us. Our songs of joy in Him only come because He is the one that rescues us and He sings those songs of joy over us. We need the Holy Spirit to take this truth and work it deeper in our lives. Right? To know the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. To know the fullness of who He is and who He has made us to be. We need the Holy Spirit to work this truth deeper into our lives because the world, the flesh, and the devil do not take a day off. Right? 
There is a relentless and perpetual attack on who we are and who God is, an attack on, on trying to bring disbelief of God's faithful, transforming um, covenant love for us. There is this understanding that, that to know who we are in Jesus, to know the fullness of what he has done for us, it is a central need of discipleship. That there is a restoration of who we are through the work of Jesus applied onto the cross. We desperately need that. And we need the Spirit of God applying the Word of God in the context of the people of God for us to grow and to know those truths. Right? If the Spirit of God isn't bringing the Word of God, then I'm not going to know this. If I am trying to do this on my own, when I am struggling, I don't have someone like Ben to actually bring life and correction to me, I'm not going to be able to do it. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God help us step into the truth of the restoration of who we are that this triune God has accomplished for us. But the other piece that is key is that there is actually also to be a restoration through who we are. First, of who we are, and now God's restoring work comes through who we are into the world. Another way to say it is, we worship a risen king. And we are to be about his kingdom work. His creative and redemptive mission that actually is relational. Right? All ministry is relational. Our lives and our lives together should be putting the gospel on full display. There is no facet of creation that is beyond his kingdom agenda. There is no facet of of creation of the world that doesn't need some touch of God's wholeness. So this restoration is to come through who we are, this creative and redemptive work, that we bring light in the darkness, that we bring order where there is chaos, that we take what is empty and we fill it with life and beauty and flourishing, that we are those who bring beauty where the world is bringing corruption, that we are those who actually face injustice with justice. We bring justice where there is injustice, that we bring mercy where there is condemnation, that we are those who pursue prodigal sons and daughters that they would come home. That is the redemptive mission of living out who God has made us to be. This is who he's called us to be. This is what he's empowered us for. So we need to know that there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. We need to know that who we are and what we have to offer in this creative and redemptive work of mission, in being the ones that we don't just have his restoration come to us, but we have it come through us. We know that who we are and what we have to offer is good because God is good and he does not make mistakes. If we don't know these truths, then we end up living our Christian lives as those who are tentative. We live from a place of diminishment and we live with this nagging feeling that we're never enough and we never will be good enough. Which means we have no imagination for being empowered by God the Holy Spirit for this relational creative mission that he has called us for. And when we lose that imagination for being involved in this kingdom work of God, then what happens is that we begin to crave the affirmation and the satisfaction and the distractions that the world offers. We have a God who makes himself known. And what 
the, what is revealed about who he is as this Trinitarian God, it actually also reveals important things about who we are. Do you see who you are? If you've been rescued by Jesus, do you see the wonder and the glory of who you are? A son or daughter of the King of Kings. Now you are not defined by sin or shame. You're defined by righteousness and honor. That, that we are not those who have to live our lives grasping. We actually have been given a treasure that we are meant to give. Do you see the joy of what he calls us into? And we can think of the joy that we find as we engage in the things of this world. But I want to say that there is no greater joy than you can know than seeing a prodigal son or daughter come home. Right? Seeing somebody rescued by Jesus and that he works through us in that. Right? That we are to be about his kingdom work. That we are to be those who are looking at what it means to be a new creation. Those who have been restored by Jesus so that restoration can come through us. To know the glorious goodness of the very good that we see in creation pales to the goodness that he makes known through us. So what I want to say is that the call as we look at Trinity Sunday is to take our place in the kingdom of God. Right? To stand in the community that he has woven us into. That we are then to stand in relationship to our Father through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. That we stand in relationship with one another. That we, we are bound into this body of Christ that it is a necessity for our lives. That we stand in the community that God has placed us in. And we invite other people in. Right? That creative and redemptive work, that restoration work is to come through us. But it's not just that we invite other people in, it's that we are those who create beauty. Right? We bring light where there is darkness, we bring order where there is chaos, we take what is empty and fill it. We are those who are to proclaim the gospel in all of who we are and all that we do, that we, when we see injustice, we want to bring justice, because that reflects the kingdom of God. That we stand in this relationship with the Father. And we stand in a relationship with one another. And that is what actually gives us the authority to be about his creative and redemptive mission. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the triune God, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that Jesus came to die for us, that we could be restored into relationship with you. We thank you that you send the Holy Spirit to take this restorative work that Jesus has done and bring it to us that we might be made new. Rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Father, I ask that you would, by your word and spirit and the people that are gathered here together, would you take the truth of who you've made us to be and work it deeper? That we'd know the fullness of the restoration of who we are, that we're not defined by shame, that we would not be tentative. We would know who we are as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And Father, in a confidence in who you are and what you have done, would you also empower us that your restorative work doesn't just come to us, but that restoration comes through us. 
Would you give us an imagination to see you at work in our lives and through our lives? That through relationships, through this creative ability you've given us, we would live out your mission. That we would bring light into the darkness. We would take what is empty and fill it. We'd bring order to chaos. We'd create beauty where there is corruption. That we would be those who who bring justice where there is injustice. But that we would be those who pursue prodigal sons and daughters, that they also would come home. We ask this in Jesus' name.